Thank you, Parker and Catherine, for our beautiful music this morning. And Dan, turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. While you're turning to Joshua, let me remind you again our bad weather Sunday policy, and that is do not turn on the television to see if we are, are or are not having morning worship services. We are having them. Now, having said that, you've got to use common sense. And so most of you exercise good sense. Some could get here with four-wheel drive vehicles. Some could not. But we are a live broadcast, and I can promise you that last Sunday was our most watched worship service of the entirety of the year. And so, and if I can't get here, there's guys who live within walking distance who, if the doors are unlocked, grab a Bible and get to preaching if somebody shows up. I was invited to join the choir last week, and I've been here 20 years and have never received that invitation. So, the more the snow, the less the people, the more opportunities you may get if you'll actually come down here. So just know we'll get here in an orchestrated way with camera guys, essential personnel, and we'll be here. And no matter what your responsibility is that morning, if you can't get here, do not risk life and limb to get here. Uh, you stay in the, the warmth of your home there and watch us by television, and we will worship uh, that way. That's an advantage that very few uh, churches have, and we have that advantage to be with you even when you can't be here. Now, when the weather's good, we want you here, but on those cases, we are having church and you use your own own caution unfortunately God's people have thankless amnesia an inability to recall to remember all that God has done for us the ancient Israelites in Joshua 24 are experiencing something of that amnesia, that thankless amnesia, and God reminds them in Joshua 24, these are the things that I have done for you. God, we will see, does not share our spiritual amnesia. God remembers, and God recalls, and God restates all that God has done for his people. And God remembers what he's done for you, too. I want you to remember a few things this morning. First of all, remember God's goodness. Remember God's goodness. In Joshua 24, we have a sacred occasion, a holy gathering where Joshua calls all the people of God together to stand before God, and God reminds them of all that he has done for them, and God rejects their thankless amnesia, and God calls them to remember, there is nothing you have that I have not given to you. There is no good blessing bestowed upon you that does not come from my hand. The same is true for you. The same is true for me this morning. The same, the same is true for us as a gathered people called First Baptist Church. There is no blessing in our century and a quarter history here at First Baptist Church. There is no blessing that has not been a blessing from God. Every good gift comes from the hand of the Almighty. In your own life, you need to recall, you need to remember, I need to recall, I need to remember all that God has done for us, all the blessings that God has bestowed, and all the gifts that God has given. Is there anything 
good in your life that is of your own accomplishment or your own doing? No, Joshua says in chapter 24, and no, I say this morning, there is no good thing in our life. Look there in verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and their judges and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua summons them to Shechem. It's a city about 41 miles north of Jerusalem. Turn back to, to Genesis chapter 12. We are introduced to, to Shechem as an important city. It was a place with a lot of ancestral memories and a, a place of ancient worship. But there in, in Genesis 12, verses 6 and 7, And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of, there's our city, Shechem, to the oak of Moray. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So of all the important things that happened at Shechem, not only in Joshua 24 to the people restate and renew their covenant to God, but also all the way back at the calling of Abraham, Shechem is the first place that Yahweh ever meets with Abram, and Abram builds an altar of worship. Now back to Joshua 24. Now it makes sense. The beginning place of worship at Shechem where God, Yahweh, had met Abram and told him he would give him all this land. Now Joshua calls him back to that holy place of ancestral worship and remembrances, and he calls them. He calls their elders and their heads and their judges and their officers. In verses 2 through 13, what you have in this section is God restating as he remembers all the things that he has done for ancient Israel. God tells them all the good things that he's brought their way. As Joshua called the people of ancient Israel to remember on that day at Shechem all the good things that God has done on this first Sunday of 2016, I call the people called First Baptist Amarillo to do the same. On this first Sunday of the year, think of all the good things that God has done for you. Think of all the blessings that God has bestowed upon you and all the gifts that God has given to you. Beginning in verse 2, God says something like this. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river Euphrates, your ancestors are a people who worship many gods, but from those people I chose Abraham, and I led him through Canaan, and I multiplied, and I gave him Isaac. Now, you remember the elderly couple, Abraham and Sarah. God told Abraham he was going to bless him with a great blessing, and Abraham said, Yahweh, don't waste your time. I don't have an heir. It will do no good. There's no one to hand the blessing down to. I'm an old man. Go outside, Abraham, and Abraham goes outside, and God says, I want you to look up at all the stars of the sky, and I want you to count them for me. And Abraham says, well, God, that's impossible to count the stars. They are too many. They are myriad and and God says, that's the way it'll be with your descendants, Abraham. There will be too many to count. 
And Sarah, upon hearing the promise that they're going to be blessed and have a child, Sarah laughs. And the Lord asks, why did Sarah laugh? Is there anything too difficult for God? Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. Remember, God says. I look through this first section in, in verses 2 through 13 and all the times that God uses the first person pronoun, I, what I have done for you. Well, let's look at verse 3. I took your father Abraham. Verse 3, I led him. Verse 3, I multiplied. Verse 3, I gave. Verse 4, I gave to Jacob. And to Esau, I gave, verse 4, Mount Seir. And I sent Moses and Aaron, verse 5. And I plagued Egypt, verse 5. Just in those few verses, in 2 through 5, I could go all the way through, through 13. I, 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 I have done it all for you, God says. I am the one who has given you all good things. This first Sunday of 2016, Remember, recall, restate all the good things that God has done for you. Verse 4, he moves on from Abraham to Isaac. Then Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's descendants went down to Egypt. And don't forget, I, God, sent Moses and Aaron to Egypt. And the Pharaoh was oppressing you as his slaves requiring you to make bricks without straw. And I heard the cries of my people. They came up before me. And Moses was chosen by me to deliver you. He saw a bush that was burning and it was not consumed. He was on holy ground. And I said to Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard the cries of their suffering. And I'm going to send you to deliver them. Come now, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my sons, Israel, out to worship me. God reminds that he gave Moses the power to create the plagues, the water that turned to blood, the frogs that covered the land, the insects that troubled both man and beast, and Pharaoh stiffened his neck, and he refused to let my people go. Then the hailstones and the darkness, and then the plague of the death of the firstborn. But among you, among the children of Israel, not even a dog will bark. Because I protected you, God said. I was watching over you. And after the, after the last plague, you remember how Israel made their escape and the Egyptian army was behind and the sea was to the fore and they, they had lost faith and God made the, the water stand up like walls and they walked across on dry land. I am the God who did that for you, Yahweh says in Joshua 24. Then in verse 9, it reminds him of another episode. I've always loved this story in the Bible, even as a child. I guess all children love this story. The sons of Israel encamped on the plains of, of Moab, beyond the Jordan River. And Balak was in fear of this great inv invasion of this, these ancient Israelites. So he sent for Balaam, a fortune teller, to come and place a curse upon the people of God as they were coming over into the promised land. For the reward of money, 
Balaam was willing for Balak to curse the people of God. And as he's on his donkey and as he's going, you remember, the donkey goes off the path. And you remember that Balaam takes his stick and he beats the donkey severely. And the donkey gets back on the path and they go by a rock wall. And now the donkey moves to the left and it scrapes the foot of the master of the fortune teller, Balaam. And he beats the donkey again. And the donkey gets back on the path and goes and... Finally, the donkey goes to an even more narrow spot, and the donkey just sits down right in the middle of the path, and Balaam starts wailing away on the donkey, just beating him and beating him, and the donkey turns and says, Now, why are you doing that to me? Have I not served you for all these years? Have I ever been a disobedient donkey? And the, the funniest part of the story is that Balaam starts talking back to the donkey without realizing he's having a conversation with the donkey. He says, well, yeah, I'm beating you, and if I had a sword, I'd cut your head off. At that moment, the angel of the Lord stands with a sword right in front of the donkey, and he says, I was going to spare her, but I was going to kill you because you were going to curse my people. I'm going to let you go, but you are to bless my people. Don't you remember God saying through Joshua in chapter 24, that I even made the donkey talk and able to, able to be able to bless you? Remember all the things that God has done. Remember them. Have you remembered lately? As we begin a new year, is there any more heart welcomed by God more than a heart of gratitude? Is there any heart that you could have to begin the new year that would be more welcomed by God than if you approached him with a heart of gratitude? A mind that remembered a heart that was grateful, and a voice that praised. We remember, O oh God, like in ancient Israel, review God's goodness to you, Joshua says. When you have needed him, God has been there for you. Review your life and all the good that God has done. Not only review, but also renew your resolution. Renew your resolution. After asking Israel to remember God's goodness, we come to the, the passage that Corky read for us where he asked him to make a renewed resolution. He tells him to, to choose this day. Look at verse 15. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, which they serve beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not only remember God's blessings and gifts, but renew your resolution to worship him. Now Joshua makes it clear. You don't have to, to worship God. I want to make that clear to you today. You don't have to worship God, not here, not now. One day you'll have to bow the knee and confess with the tongue that Jesus is Lord after it's too late, but you don't have to do that now. You don't have to do that here. That's a decision for you to make. And so, so Joshua actually gives them options, and he says, you can go back to worshiping the idols that your fathers and grandfathers worshiped on the other side of the river, 
or you can worship the foreign pagan gods that exist in the communities in which we now dwell, or my family, he says, is going to worship the God who delivered us, the God who did all these things on our behalf. It's a call, a resolution. I ask you today as we begin 2016 to resolve in your own heart, to renew your own resolution as we begin this very first Sunday of 2016. For some of us, that means we need to renew our commitment to be here and to gather and to worship on, on God's day with our church family. God never in his word asks us to worship him in a hit and miss sporadic fashion. He never calls for that kind of worship. He calls for our worship to be rhythmic, even patterned after his creation. Six days he did work, and on the seventh day he rested. It is a call for us to rest and to worship and to focus on God. It is to be a habitual, rhythmic part of our lives. And I can tell you how you know when you're doing that. It's when you're in the rhythm of worshiping every Sunday, and then for some reason you have to miss. It doesn't feel right, does it? You're out of rhythm. You're out of sync. You have not given God his day for whatever good reason, and the rhythm is broken. Some of you here this morning or some of you watching by way of television, regular rhythmic worship has never been a part of who you are or a part of your family. And I, I'm calling you this first day of 2016 to resolve to be here in worship. Some of us need to renew our commitment to God financially. To remember that God is the giver of all good gifts. And therefore, we are always first to give him his portion. To know that all good things, our strength, our wisdom, our opportunities are all part of his gift to us. As we begin a new budget in 2016, that for you to commit yourself to be there for the ministries of your church as we reach out here in Amarillo and across the entirety of the globe to share the gospel. There's some missionaries in China, latter part of the 19th century, and they pushed to the inland, and they found a community whose mainstay crop was potatoes, but the potatoes were, were small. They were about the size of, of marbles. And the missionaries asked about why didn't they grow bigger potatoes, and they said, well, big potatoes just won't grow here. And the missionaries analyzed, and the conditions were good. The moisture was good. The soil was good. There was no reason they shouldn't have regular-sized potatoes or even large potatoes, but all they had was these marble, these small potatoes. And so, well, they asked, do, do big potatoes ever grow in your soil? Oh, yes, they do. Well, what do you do with those? Oh, we eat those. Those are the best. They said they had systematically restricted and reduced their potato crop by always eating the big potatoes themselves and only planting the marble-sized potatoes. And genetically, they had reduced their crop down to wild marble-type potatoes. Sometimes we take that approach in our stewardship, don't we? I want the biggest and the best for myself, and I will leave to God the small potatoes that the runts that are left over, which therefore restricts my life. Here's another place we need to recommit ourselves, not only in our attendance and in our, our stewardship, we need to recommit ourselves in offering the hope of the gospel. As a pastor, I need to recommit myself as we begin 2016 to 
preaching the gospel and personally evangelizing and offering the gospel. And the same is true for our staff and the same is true for our deacons and our, our Sunday school teachers and our congregation that we are to be the bearers of the good news. A friend of mine this, this week was in a restaurant and I guess it's his routine. Someone asked him to tell me. He wasn't telling me by his own accord what had happened to him in a restaurant. He asked the waitress, is there anything that I, about your life that I could pray for you? She didn't understand the question. She was shocked. Is there anything in, in your life, before we do the, the meal, is there anything in your life that, that I could pray for you? And finally, when she understood what he was actually asking, she said, in all my years of being a waitress, no one, this is in Amarillo, no one has ever asked if they could pray for me. And in fact, she did have some, some issues in her own family that she asked for prayer. Are you intentionally carrying the hope of the gospel everywhere you go? It was a simple question. He wasn't obnoxious. He wasn't overbearing. He asked her, can I give you the hope of the gospel by praying for you? And she said, nobody ever asked me that before. In our own community, that restaurant is probably four miles from where I'm standing. And no one had ever asked the waitress, and I go there. I'm not guilting you. I'm guilting myself. No one had ever asked her, do you need the hope of the gospel today? Whenever someone refuses God's invitation for a relationship, there are always disastrous consequences. Ancient Israel knew, and we know today, that living in right relationship with God and a covenant commitment with Him is the only way to live. It's the only decision that matters. There's another thing I want to ask you to do. Thirdly, recognize the difficulty of your decision. Recognize the difficulty of your decision. Verses 19 through 21, Joshua says, look at 19. Then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. Recognize the difficulty of the resolution to be faithful to God. You don't have to serve God, Joshua says. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But if you do choose to serve God, I want you to know it's going to be a really hard thing to do. This is a major commitment. This is not a light thing. God is holy, and God is jealous, and God has expectations, and this will not be an easy task. You know, of all the depictions of what it means to follow Jesus, you know, Sometimes we have that attitude, oh, yes, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm going with Jesus, I'm for Jesus, that's a good thing. That's not the biblical approach. It is a major, costly, life-committing, life-changing decision to follow Jesus. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take all that you are to be all that he wants you to be. It will never be a boring thing either. I was reading the Wall Street Journal there was a headline that said, Boredom Enthusiasts Discover the Pleasures of Understimulation. Now, listen to that. 
Boredom enthusiasts discover the pleasure of understimulation. James Ward, a 29-year-old, had an idea that he would put on a conference and bore people. One Saturday, he would bring in speakers for seven hours and bore you to tears. And, and people signed up. 200, it sold out. 200 people paid $24 a piece to be bored to tears. They were looking for some boredom in their life. If life's ever so stressful to you, you just hope to get bored. One guy got up, one speaker, and read 415 color names listed on the paint catalog. Damson Dream, Dolphin, Day Room Yellow, Dead Salmon, on and on and on. Listening to the reading of the paint colors was like watching paint dry. As they looked at the bored faces in the room, the conference was a big hit. For seven hours that Saturday, people were bored spitless, as we say in our house. One guy got up and spoke of the intangible beauty of car park roofs. The intangible beauty of car park roofs. Another one gave personal reflections on the eating of an English breakfast. Now, some of you are thinking you're going to nominate me for next year's conference. I know what you're thinking there. One guy got up and went over his 55 tie collection. He spent an hour going over each one of his ties and how he had introduced 2% more color in the next year in his tie collection. I hope that meant a lot to them. One guy says next year he's going to speak on the ease of extracting electricity from municipal buildings and beyond. A comparison. The climactic speaker, the keynote speaker, got out there and gave a three-year sneeze chart. He had, he had logged every sneeze that he had ever, do you commit a sneeze? I don't know what you do with a sneeze. Every sneeze he'd ever experienced, he put it on a chart. And people sat there for an hour and looked over his three years of sneezes. And the highlight was at one time when he was recording a sneeze, he actually sneezed. That was a highlight of, of the conference. Some people like to be bored, but that's what you like. Don't try to follow Jesus. There's nothing boring about church. There's nothing boring about following Jesus. The words of Jesus will call you to a costly discipleship. You're going to be asked to emulate a man who died on a cross, who was so obedient that he was obedient to the point of death. You'll be challenged to serve him here in neighborhoods around our church and our inner city and beyond. You'll be asked to go to Brazil or China or Russia or some Dominican Republic or, or someplace and serve. You're going to hear, thus saith the Lord God of Israel in the proclamation of the word. You will hear here the, the Sermon on the Mount where you are challenged to, to be sure that you get the log out of your own eye before you mess with the speck in your brother's eye. You will learn that hatred in some ways is as bad as murder and lust in some ways is as bad as adultery. There is nothing easy about following Jesus. It is here you'll be asked to hold the hand of a child and recite with her a, a memory verse or to stand beside the grave with a widow and be the presence of Christ as life has forever changed for her. Be careful, Joshua is saying. Choosing, resolving, recommitting to following Yahweh is a dangerous thing. And the place of worship is a dangerous place. In the early days of our country, public highway system was sort of non-existent. 
And frequently an enterprising man would cut a road through and then put up a barricade. So, well, Dallas is, still has this system. I, I never go to Dallas. I don't get a bill in the road for traveling on some street I wasn't supposed to be on. The toll road system is really, really old. And they would cut their own road. They would build the blockade. And the guy would have his house, his toll house, right beside the path that he had cut. And you would approach day and night. And he would come down. And he would open the toll. And you would pay. And you could go through. And you could travel on the road that he kept up on his private property, his, his private road. Well, it was beginning to rain, and a traveler on horseback approached one of those toll houses, and he, he shouted. It was beginning to rain. He shouted for the man to come down, and there was no answer. And he, he shouted more loudly, and there was an answer, I'll be right down. And the rain started harder and harder, and he wanted to get under the cover of trees. So he shouted loudly, and he says, I'm coming, I'm coming. And he, he shouted, and went back and forth. And finally, when the man never came, he got off his horse, went in the house, went up to the bedroom on the front stairs, and says, man, where are you? I've been calling and calling and calling, and you said you would come, but you have not responded. And the man said, oh, sir, I'm sorry. I've been dead asleep. He said, I hear the call so often that I can respond to it even when I'm numb. I've heard the call so often I can respond to it even when I'm numb. Maybe you've heard the gospel so much, the call of Joshua, that you're numb to it. It's important. Beginning of 2016, calling the people who worship God together and say, we're on the threshold. We're in a new place. You have a new opportunity. Will you remember all the good things that God has done for you? Will you renew and resolve a, a new commitment to him and join Joshua who says, whatever you decide to do, my family's going to worship God. And then finally, will you realize that when you make that choice, it's going to be hard. Satan will do everything he can to derail you from your commitment. You're going to make a million decisions this year, probably literally, there's only one decision that matters. It governs every other decision. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to worship? You get that one decision right in 2016, and everything else will find its place. Let us pray. Oh, God, we stand with the, the people of ancient Israel we hear the call to, to choose this very day on the threshold at a new place, a new beginning to serve you, to worship you, to remember, to renew, and to realize. Oh, God, maybe there's someone by, watching by way of television or someone here in this room who would need to say that today is the day that I will choose to make Jesus my Lord there are others that this will be their day to choose. I'm going to make this my place of worship, my holy place, my, my sacred ground. However you would call us to respond, O oh God, may we be obedient to your word. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.